0: you're forced to inactivity due to to the injury and and that is uh, a situation when actually going up to that 2.0 grams per kilogram per day really does help a lot in the prevention of the loss of muscle mass that triathlon show episode 95 Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and today's episode is part two of the nutrition podcast series that started in the last episode. And today we'll continue and we'll talk about proteins and fat for endurance athletes. Mostly plus an example of how you can calculate your carbohydrate, protein and fat intake needs uh, based on your individual numbers. So it will be a very simple and practical example that will give you an idea of how to how to use the information that you've, you've gotten in the last episode and that you'll get in this one just as a quick reminder the last episode that that you heard was mostly on energy intake overall and on carbohydrates for endurance athletes one other thing that we actually talked about quite a bit or two other things that are important to mention is the concept of energy availability that's super important and something that a lot of athletes don't know about haven't even heard about but that can give you all sorts of uh, of health issues like uh, the female athlete triad which is uh, disordered eating menstrual dysfunction and, and bone, unhealthy bone structure, not strong enough bones, I, I don't know exactly what the definition of the bone problems that you get are, uh, but then also the extended REDS or RED-S relative energy deficiency in sport, which is, uh, extends to male and female and has a host of other important uh, Implications like hormonal and psychological and physiological gastrointestinal problems related to it. Anyway, that's that's important. And obviously, we talked about how you use fat and carb uh, in endurance performance. So that's an important uh, basic knowledge to have for any endurance athlete, but especially to get the most out also of today's episode. You need to know that, so go and listen to that episode, I would say, before listening to this one. That was episode 94. Before we get into today's main topic... Thank you to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com and you can buy electrolyte supplements to make sure that you uh, maximize your performance by not losing too much sodium which will reduce your performance especially in long events where you sweat a lot. And especially if it's a hot event, it will also potentially prevent muscle cramps. So precisionhydration.com is where you can find out more about that. They have a great blog and you can use the discount code thattriathlonshow, all one word for 15% off any purchases. Thank you also to Triathlon Corner that you can find on triathlon-corner.store. It's uh, the new online home of Triathlon Shopping. They have a wide variety of great products and great brands to great prices. And that's where you can make sure that now that we're getting into the thick of base training and things are getting a bit more serious, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, And I guess it's even more serious now in the Southern Hemisphere where the racing season is uh, going on in full steam. So anyway, if you need anything, check them out on triathlon-corner.store. Great prices, great products, great customer service, which is why I'm switching to Triathlon Corner myself for my online shopping. So now let's move into the main topic of today's episode. Just in case you missed last episode, I want to remind you that uh, these things that I will talk about are not my uh, my personal opinions. They're based on a systematic research review from, uh, from 2000, the end of 2016, uh, which is called Nutrition and Athletic Performance, a joint position statement that was put together by a variety of very, very well-respected uh, sports uh, nutritionists or sports nutrition scientists and researchers from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the Dietitians of Canada and the American College of Sports Medicine, they had a long, long list of reviewers. So, so this is very solid stuff. They really looked at everything that's available in terms of research. And that is, you can go and check that out. It's very readable, actually, and understandable. So a good read. And and that is what this episode is based on, just like the last one it's It's not just my opinions, I just want to say that uh, to prevent uh, a storm of angry emails at me because nutrition uh, tends to cause heated discussions I've found for whatever reason I can't quite understand it anyway let's start by talking about protein for endurance athletes so Again, there's a great piece of work here, a publication that's called Dietary Protein for Athletes from Requirements to Optimum Adaptation, which is a research review by Professor Stuart Phillips that I'll link to and I recommend reading if you're interested in learning more. Stuart Phillips is uh, uh, the go-to guy when, when, I, when I hear protein, I think Stuart Phillips and or protein for athletes, I, I think Stuart Phillips. So, So that one is recommended reading if you're interested in the science side. Just uh, some quick background. Protein is both a trigger and a building block for building and rebuilding of muscle tissue. And it also plays an important role in structural changes in non-muscle tissue such as tendons and bones. And muscle protein synthesis uh, has been shown to be elevated for at least 24 hours in response to resistance training. That's not endurance training, mind you. But during this time window, uh, the synthesis can be positively impacted by consuming protein in your diet so so that kind of forms the uh, the groundwork the foundation for the work on protein and endurance sports which is not as extensive as has been done in resistance sports yet but the same principles apply so for us muscle mass isn't the goal of training but uh, maximizing metabolic adaptation really is and, uh, and and even without maximizing the ...needing to maximize muscle mass... ...we need to get that... ...muscle protein synthesis going... ...to get the metabolic adaptation... ...that, that we want. So... Uh, sufficient protein intake for endurance athletes should be well above the recommended daily allowance by like normal and nutrition standards for normal people, and and it's imp- really important with the timing here. As we saw, there is a window after the resistance training sessions. It's the same for endurance, and that 24 hours is uh, like a big window. There are it's even more important in the hours following, although the window opportunity, it's, uh, as far as I know, it's kind of conflicted and we don't know exactly how long it is really. So two more general points before getting into the exact protein guidelines. First, you also, as I mentioned in the last episode, need to consume enough total energy to be in energy balance. Energy in equals energy out or only a very slight and acceptable negative. Because otherwise, if you have too negative an energy balance, or you don't have enough energy availability, another thing we talked about in last episode, part one, uh, then your some amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, they may be oxidized for fuel instead of being used for, uh, for muscle protein sym- synthesis, or protein syn- synthesis in general. And that's obviously a highly undesirable outcome. So make sure that you have a good energy balance, uh, a neutral energy balance or a slightly negative energy balance if you're trying to lose weight but stay in control of that. The second general thing I want to mention still is that obviously there are many different types of proteins. You've heard about them and seen them in in stores maybe in uh, supplement form and It seems, based on this review again, that dairy protein is the most effective protein for consumption in the post-exercise window, both in terms of uh, muscle strength, but also body composition. And uh, one of the main advantages of uh, of dairy protein is, uh, is its leucine content, which is an essential amino acid and uh, be, simply because it's uh, it's got a favorable di- digestion and it absorbs well so so dairy protein that you can find in either in supplements but also in dairy foods obviously are really great but there are other types of proteins that have shown good results as well to consume after exercise and uh, examples are lean meat whey protein supplement uh casein soy protein and egg protein and many of them as you understand are in powder form but lean meat is apparently a food type that you can consume post exercise and, and get the, those same benefits uh, I guess because of the leucine content in, uh, in lean meat as well. So what does then research say about protein intake guidelines for endurance athletes? The recommended daily intake of protein is from Around about 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram body weight. But, and, and this where you fall within that range obviously depends on your training volume and the type of training that you do. For example, do you have strength training as part of your triathlon training program? And also the intensity. More intense training uh, typically requires more protein consumption as well because you break down more muscle. And uh, to compare that range of 1.2 to 2.0, the recommended daily allowance allowance in general nutrition guidelines is uh, 0.8 to 1.0 grams per kilogram. That's, of course, for non-exercising or only lightly exercising adults. So... If you are in a heavy block of training then definitely you want to stay in that higher end of the protein intake range so closer to that 2.0 grams per kilogram body weight per day Uh, but if you're just getting started in triathlon or you're training more recreationally then uh, closer to that 1.2 grams per kilogram uh, is probably enough for you. Uh, But another thing that uh, is interesting that i hadn't thought about before reading reading this position statement is that a situation that uh, in which you should consume more protein is if you get injured and and you're forced to inactivity due to to the injury and that is uh, a situation when actually going up to that 2.0 grams per kilogram per day really does help a lot in the prevention of the loss of muscle mass so so if you get injured and you are in training then uh, and you want to retain as much muscle mass as possible that, that's that's a situation when actually cutting yourself short of energy in general is not a good idea if that's especially if that comes at the cost of protein intake so yeah you will have to reduce the overall energy intake since you're not training but uh, try to increase the amount of protein in that situation one very very important point and and the super common mistake that that people make with their nutrition is to not spread out the protein intake across the day Uh, it's so much better to have multiple moderate amounts of of high quality protein so for example every three to five hours uh, over the course of multiple meals every meal uh, in during the day should contain uh, a piece of protein and also potentially some snacks this again depends on how much you're training if you're beginner you're a beginner and you're not training that much then maybe you don't need those snacks but but if you're training quite a bit then some protein at every meal including breakfast which is uh, where a lot of athletes don't necessarily have protein and even lunch if you just have I don't know a sandwich or something uh, that's uh, something that you should change right away and start consuming protein at each and every meal but and then again you can't absorb protein too much protein in one, one go. So having a big steak that contains 50 grams of protein for dinner, that's not going to compensate for not having protein earlier in the day, because you can only absorb. Depends on the individual, of course, but but maybe maybe half half of that, and that depends also on what you've done before, if you have been training, etc. etc. But but the point being that that you can't compensate and have all the protein in one go. Spread it out across the day. And finally, after long or hard exercise, then it's recommended to consume an increased amount of protein. That's uh, probably something that you're already aware of. Uh, the guidelines here are to consume uh 0.25 to 0.30 grams per kilogram of body weight after exercise within within the hours following exercise. We'll talk a bit more about the timing of nutrition pre, during and post in a follow-up episode to this. Um, I don't know if it's the next one, probably a bit later, because I haven't prepared it yet and uh, it will take me some time. But anyway, there will be a follow-up episode with more specific guidelines on what to do in and around exercise. But... 0.25 to 2.30 grams per kilogram. For example, for me, let me just bring up my calculator again. Let's say 0.3 times 68 kilograms. That's 20 grams of protein. That's usually actually what I, what I consume, what I try to consume. For example, in a post-exercise smoothie, I would have a scoop of protein powder that has almost exactly 20 grams of protein. So um, do that calculation for yourself and uh, yeah, see where you, where you fall. Alright, so that's about it for protein. Now let's move on to talk about fat. So, I haven't really found any review on uh, fat for endurance athletes that's any better than. that to actually just read the section on fat in the position statement itself. Of course, every study or publication that I, I mention here will be linked to in the show notes and episode description. And I highly recommend checking out this position statement because it's uh, pretty easy to understand and, and easy to read, actually, compared to, to many reviews that are out there, uh, even if you, you don't have a background in science. So, so definitely recommend it. And if you're interested in fat, go and check out that section. Uh, So basically some general facts about fat is that healthy fats are an absolutely necessary essential component of any good diet. In addition to getting energy from it, which is obviously important, uh, it uh, contributes to the construction and function of the cell membranes and it also enables the absorption of uh, some really important vitamins that in the absence of these healthy fats couldn't really be absorbed at all. So that's super important. And of course, as I mentioned and talked about quite a bit in last episode, when we talked about uh, how to use carbs and fat for fuel for endurance performance... Fat is, uh, to, together with carbs, the the main source of energy that uh, can be used and turned into energy that the muscles can use to fuel endurance performance, to get you to swim, bike, and run. Uh, and uh, so that's obviously, for us as endurance athletes, that's right in the bullseye. But uh, then again, as we also talked about, fat stores, even in the leanest of athletes, are pretty abundant in the body, so you don't need to consume fats just for the sake of of refilling the, the available fat stores for endurance performance. That's that's not the, the point here. But the point is just to be aware of the fact that you are using fat when you exercise and, and race. So another general point uh, going through them here. The way that they kind of popped up in the position statement is... Uh, try to limit the amount of saturated fats to 10% or less of your, the total amount of calories that you get from fat uh, and focus on consuming the essential fatty acids like omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. That can be found in, for example, uh, fish and uh, olive oil and you can just Google it and, and get a long list of, of where you can find those essential fatty acids. So what is the energy amount that's recommended to get from fat intake? Well, according to the position statement, you should get at least 20% of your total energy intake from fats. Uh, the primary reason for that is that a lower fat intake uh, could lead to, to a detrimental reduction in the intake of those essential fatty acids that I just mentioned, which and also a detrimental reduction in the absorption of those fat-soluble vitamins. So those are the two main reasons and there are no guidelines for how much uh, you should get in at most or or how much you should get in as long as you stay above that 20% of total energy intake. And the reason for this is that uh, if you follow the carb and protein guidelines then you will have pretty specific numbers or specific ranges at least uh, for yourself and then fat will just be what's left of your total energy consumption and your total energy consumption. You will know either if you want to stay in energy balance, if you're just trying to maintain weight and not lose muscle uh, or a slight slight deficit if you want to lose weight. So yeah, Just the fat intake is the total energy intake minus the protein and carb intake. So calculate those first. I just talked about proteins and in the last episode we talked about carbs. So go and check that out as well but you will probably automatically end up with a fat intake in the range of 20 to 30% of your total energy intake. Uh, I'll give you an example in a little bit, but first let's talk a little bit more. I did talk about this in the last episode when we talked about carbs. So there is some overlap to this, but I still want to to tackle the fact of of using fat for fuel, oxidizing fat uh, to fuel endurance performance. So, One important point to make here is that you can train uh, your ability to oxidize fat but uh, to really uh, be able to maximize that ability you need to to use nutritional strategies, just training uh, isn't enough. So obviously you need to combine the nutritional strategies with training strategies. But these include the usual suspects, training fasted, but even more so training with depleted glycogen stores, as we talked about last episode, meaning doing a second training session in the same day after a first glycogen depleting session and not refueling with carbs after that so that that's actually better much more efficient than training in a fasted state uh, also there are some nutritional strategies like intake of certain types of fat that trigger fat oxidation in uh, in the exercise that follows and there are some there are some products for this and uh, probably some natural substances and to be completely honest i'm not completely aware uh, what exactly is uh, fad and what works and the, the position statement doesn't uh, elaborate on this and uh, i haven't researched it to be honest so you need to do some research yourself but what i would say is that those uh, those strategies that i mentioned before uh training fasted and training with depleted glycogen stores are much more important uh, and much uh, higher in priority compared to to adding those uh, exogenous uh, supplements before exercise or whether they're supplements or, or foods that's uh my take but uh, that's not from the position statement so so don't take that for uh, an absolute truth uh then uh Low-carb, high-fat diet they improve your ability to, to metabolize fat. But at the same time, they greatly reduce your ability to oxidize carbs. This is something that we talked about last time, so I won't talk about that too much. Uh, and this is true even when you have carbs available. So the uh, train low race high strategy—that's not very smart. It's, it's not optimal, at least, because even if you have carbs available, you you are not able to use them to the same extent that you would be if you if you weren't on that LCHF diet. So LCHF is simply not recommended for endurance athletes if you want to maximize your performance. If you want other benefits, health benefits, uh, again I will say that I don't know enough to be able to make a recommendation if that's what you're after. But but if you want to maximize performance, current evidence suggests that LCHF is not the way to go. Uh, you can definitely get away with burning more fats and not being efficient at burning carbs especially when the intensity is moderate and uh, if uh, anybody sends me emails with uh, uh, references to Volek or finney studies after this uh, then go and check at what intensity those studies were made at and you'll see what i'm talking about when i'm talking moderate intensity it's uh, it's not endurance performance it's endurance training more than performance so uh, when you want to go at higher intensities that's that's what's impaired not the moderate intensity one final thing to consider is that uh, even if you could uh, train low and race high you would actually probably be sacrificing your ability to do really intense uh, training which would then impair the potential, uh, potential performance that you could get out just because you, of yourself, just because you haven't been able to do that maximum to-the-well training to the same performance output as you would have otherwise. So again, I realize I'm repeating myself a bit from last episode, uh, but this is just such an important topic. Plus, I don't remember exactly what I said last time, so uh, I'm recording on a different day. So so I hope that uh, you're okay with that. What I just want to repeat one more time, I know I said this, is that it's not about being efficient, an efficient carb burner or an efficient fat burner. It's about being able to do both very, very well. Just like triathlon, it's not about being a great cyclist or a great runner or a great swimmer. If you want to be a great triathlete, you need to be very good at all of them. You can have one that's better, sure, but, but you need to be very good at all of them and, and you wouldn't sacrifice... 1 for for the other So finally I want to give you an example of how you can you can use these guidelines to to calculate your your macronutrient needs so you need to somehow estimate or or know your resting metabolic rate or your basal metabolic rate but for example there there are calculators online I I don't know which ones are good and which ones are bad. Uh, so you'll need to do some Googling. Or you can go and do like an in-body measurement or something similar. I did that a few years ago. I think three years ago already. So so these data may be a bit old. I know I did it as a runner when I had quite a bit less muscle mass. So I actually, my resting metabolic rate may be higher now. But I think at that time it was 2,400 uh, kilocalories per day. Or I know it was actually. And, uh, and I also know that my current weight is 68 kilograms. So so let's say that I, I estimate that I need 2400 kilocalories to stay in energy balance, balance if I'm just working at a desk all day. So I kind of include what we talked about in uh, the last episode, the fermic effect of food in my resting metabolic rate. And, uh, and just any additional energy that I expend in training or racing needs to be added to my energy intake in addition to those 2,400 in order for me to stay in balance and maintain weight. So let's say that uh, on a typical day I may actually expend uh, 1,000 uh, calories in training and the energy intake I then need to stay in balance becomes 3,400, simple arithmetic and Let's start with the carb intake that I talked about in in the last episode. So I would probably fall in the high bucket. If you remember, we had four different buckets. And uh, that would be the 6 to 10 grams per kilogram of body weight per per day. Which means that, uh, let me say, let let me take 8 grams as the example. So in the middle of that range. So 8 grams times 68 kilograms equals 544 grams of carbs per day. And that equals when you multiply 544 by 4, because there are 4 calories per gram of carbs, uh, 2176 calories of carbs. So that's my carb intake. And if I then take 2,176 and divide that by 3,400, I get 0.64. So 64% of my energy intake uh, would come from carbs. Then, from the protein range that we talk about in this episode, that range was 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram body weight. Let's again use the midpoint of 1.6 grams per kilogram. That's probably what I would do for a non-strength training day. But if I have a strength training session on that day, I would definitely try to pick the high end and and go to 2 straight away. But uh, again, let's say it's an endurance day. So 1.6 times 68 equals 109 grams of protein. And again, we can multiply the grams of protein by 4 to get the uh, the protein amount in calories, and that becomes 435. And again, dividing that by the total energy intake, 3,400 calories, uh, that means that 13%, that is uh, 0.13. So 13% of my energy comes from protein. And that leaves the balance of my energy intake uh, to come from fat. So if I subtract 2,177 calories and subtract 435 calories from that total energy intake of 3,400, it leaves 788 calories to be consumed from, from fat. And there's uh, 9 calories per Per gram of fat. So so if we divide 788 calories by 9. We get 88 grams of of fat that I need to consume. And uh, again I can divide that 788 kilocalories. That was my energy intake from fat. By 3400 to get my percentage of energy intake. That would come from fat. And that becomes 23% falling right in that 20-30% to range. that That I just talked about. So. Again to repeat, 64% of my energy would come from carbs, 13% from protein and 23% from fat. This is not the only way. There are variations. And if you, for example, train less, you may consume less carbs. Uh, If you have a really heavy strength training day or just heavy training in general, you may consume more protein to get that protein range up. Uh, That would probably actually, if I were to do this really properly and not just for example purposes, I don't calculate my energy intake by any means at this point. But I actually think that it would make sense in uh, in this period of training for me to maybe bump up the protein intake a little bit. Uh, just uh, yeah, that's just something that I've come to the conclusion of uh, from uh, from researching and doing this episode. So there's there's always that. Maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll have a think of it for actually using using this knowledge soon. Anyway I hope that you have enjoyed this episode and again if you didn't listen to the last one where we talked about energy intake in general and carbs and how to use carbs and fat for fuel in a bit more detail than today then definitely go and check that out. And there will be follow-up episodes on body composition and also on fueling before, during and after workouts. But I don't know yet exactly when they will come out. There will probably be an interview episode after this one. But my scheduling is a bit up in the air at the moment after a few rescheduled interviews. So so next one is a surprise for me at this point at least. But again, you can find the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com as usual if you have questions or comments or feedback uh, or your thoughts and want to share what what you do and what's working for you because again as I said in the last episode at the end of the day nutrition is and should be individual there's no one size fits all solution the same as with training so I want to make that clear this is what research has uh, found to be the most effective based on current evidence for endurance athletes but that's not to say that everybody falls in this same bucket because everybody is not the average person that takes part in a research study so uh, and and also actually one important thing to point out is that a lot of times the people taking part in research studies are university students so I, I have cited some or read about some studies in master's athletes that were included in that position statement but usually in sports science the majority of subjects are university students. So there's a bias towards that population. Thank you to Triathlon Corner for sponsoring this episode and making sure that uh, I can get you these episodes uh, twice per week, Uh, actually three times per week now that I do beginner tips as well. Triathlon Corner is the new online triathlon shopping home and you can find them on triathlon-corner.store. Uh, they have great products, great prices and deals and ship worldwide. Anything that you lack for this uh, upcoming training season now that we're really getting into back into training, into the base phase if you have summer races coming up in, in the northern hemisphere uh, or anything that you need to tune up for your ongoing racing season for example if you're in the southern hemisphere and in the thick of it right now so triathlon-corner.store Thank you also to Precision Hydration. Remember that one size does not fit all when it comes to hydration. So you can take Precision Hydration's free online sweat test to learn how you should hydrate, how much sodium you need to, to get in, to consume during, during that exercise or that event. That's something that I'll talk about a lot in the in the episode the follow-up nutrition episode where we'll have pre during and post uh, workout nutrition and in the during part sodium is definitely an essential component of that anyway if you go to precisionhydration.com and use the discount code that triathlon show you can get 50% off any of their products thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon